This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversation with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyers Bay, Dunedin, and today I am joined by Dave Lane, who is in Christchurch. Welcome, Dave. Hello, Sam. How has your bubble gone? Our bubble has been outstanding. We've been very, very fortunate. Um, yes, we've... Uh, I think can explain the composition of our bubble. Um, we have uh, uh, two boys, eight and, tw- and 11, and uh, my wife and our dog, Luna. And we, have, um, we are in the very fortunate position of having moved into a brand new house uh, just before Christmas. So we're sort of in the ideal situation to weather a fair bit of time at home. Um, and we feel, feel for folks who, uh, who aren't quite as happy and comfortable in, their dwellings so yes we consider ourselves very lucky you've got landscaping to do lots of landscaping there's lots of lots of projects to uh, improve the homeliness of our new home so i've had a never-ending um set of of chores and tasks to do on building fences and sheds and digging gardens and making raised gardens <laughs> and we've Planting fruit, fruit trees and sh- shrubbery, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. But yeah, we we were lucky that we had most of that stacked up, waiting to be done. We had all of our materials and so on. So oh, we good timing. Very there little, was, very little demand for um, the shops. Thankfully, there was a big queue at Mitre Ten. I presume at the other places as well. Just before lockdown, I was there mm-hmm. buying some varnish because I thought this is the chance to to fix those window frames. Yes, and the paint still the the still sitting in the garage <laughs> i actually did manage to do some varnishing in fact i'm looking at my brand new inbuilt desk here which i varnished but I, I have to say varnishing is one of my least favorite things to do and i was using very old varnish that i had brought with me from my previous location and uh and i i think i did a pretty crappy job of it but anyway there you go it's <laughs> it's serviceable and you were homeschooling we did homeschool yes i'm very fortunate that my wife is a is an educator and was um, uh, probably more on top of it than I was as far as knowing what our boys were meant to be doing. So she kind of took over the, took the reins as far as uh, guiding their learning. They were remarkably um, unfocused, as, as I suspect many children were. But we have the advantage of um, a very large domain or, or reserve directly across the road from us uh, in which the boys were were allowed to build mountain biking tra- trails and jumps and berms and all kinds of stuff. So they were pretty, they had a lot of physical activity and were pretty well knackered and were able to focus uh, better perhaps than some who were cooped up and not having any way to spend their physical energy. 
And probably did lots of learning about physics. Well, one would hope, yes. <laughs> um, they certainly did lots of learning <laughs> about how to, how to leave shovels out in the rain and various other <laughs> bits and pieces. And they've just been skulking around now looking for crowbars, so I'm a little bit worried. Um, <laughs> time will tell. <laughs> time and will tell. We'll wait we'll, we'll to listen for the ambulance. How did their week at school go last week? Uh, I think they were pretty happy to be back. And, um, yeah, they seem to go very well. So, um, yeah, they're, we're, we're lucky that they're, they're pretty well adjusted, I think. Let's go straight to one of your songs. Shall we go for a friend of yours, I think, David Yeah, Thorpe? that's right, Davy Thorpe. He's, um, he's otherwise known, he's, he's uh, reasonably well known in New Zealand around the place uh, for being a one-man skiffle machine. That's one of his other persona, personae. Uh, and he um, he uh, does his own music in various different guises, but this one is one that he just did for himself. And it, it's sort of, I think, a um, the song that he did in reflection on his experiences in lockdown and some of the difficulties, um, the, the kind of um, soul searching that resulted from realizing that his whole industry of live performance is very uh, substantially altered as a result of what we've all just been through and so he had some fairly profound things to say which I thought were worth were worth repeating I've been living in a virtual world of Lego Zoom and Facebook Pino and pills For a socially awkward Anxious guy This had the making of being My perfect life But I underestimated How much humankind Soothes my mind, body and soul It was great to see you Face to face Didn't know how much I'd missed you When I was drifting space I've been holding it together For the online world Truth is I'm jaded and tired And ready to curl But the spark in your eye And your unconscious advice Soothe my mind, body, and soul So if you don't mind me I'll take it slow for a while Get my feet on the ground And a smile on my dial To transition to whatever normal is And navigate QR code sign-in It's often said A nod's as good as a wink It often goes unnoticed But it's worth twice as much as you think 
It's so easy for me to just sail on by But I need your wind in my sails And your sun in my eyes Cause Instagram cannot with the genuine high That soothes my mind, body and soul It's a subtle science of humankind That soothes my mind, body and soul So how's the working from home gone for you? Well, for me, it's very little difference um, because I've been doing it for about four years now. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's pretty standard for me. The only difference has been having a lot more people around when I'm doing it, which has <laughs> resulted in a little bit more distraction. But generally, it's very nice. It's, it, I'm, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I get a, I get a chance to be fairly engaged with my family on a day-to-day -day basis because I can do the school run in the morning with the on the bikes and things like that and uh get home and get get cracking and um but now or over the past few weeks i've just had a lot more kids around looking being being annoying and <laughs> being unable to focus and coming in and making helping me be unable to focus <laughs> but uh, generally it's been good so what is it you do so so i uh my official role full-time role is open source technologist for the Open Education Resource Foundation, which is um, a charitable foundation uh, that is, as it happens, wholly owned by the new incorporated Otago Polytechnic. Um, so technically I'm employed by the Polytechnic, but uh, I've only ever been there twice. <laughs> uh, once before I started working there and once just for a conference, uh, which I think you attended um, last year. Uh, with, with which was related to um, the uh, open learning practice or open learning pedagogy and practice or the Center for Open Education Practice. That's what it is. COPE, C-O-E-P. So that's something which our foundation um, sort of initiated uh, to try to ensure that we can bring together the best minds for open educational resources, which is our focus, obviously. And um, my role is, uh, so this, the best minds around New Zealand, I guess, is what I'm trying to say, is that we're trying to bring those together. My role within all of this is to be the technologist who makes the openly licensed education materials accessible in a practical way for people on computers. And um, so I build the infrastructure and I maintain infrastructure that, uh, makes our materials available for people around the world. Um, and they're all, they're all, so we, we, we not only have collaboration on places for educators to build learning materials, so effectively building entire online courses, but we also then have platforms that we use to make those courses available to learners. And so we've got, um, at the moment, um, we, we're in the midst of a, so this lockdown period, uh, resulted in a very quick um, initiative by my colleague, Wayne McIntosh, who's the director of the foundation um, and the founder of it. He uh, had the idea of a OER response to the COVID crisis to make it easier for institutions that don't have a background in online teaching to have access to openly licensed materials so they can quickly get up and running in a remote learning situation. And we've got uh, a few thousand people at the moment taking a course on how to 
use digital technologies to teach and learn. And um, so we've got micro courses and so on that are that are in that general area. And we've got people in 60 plus countries at the moment taking that course right as we speak. Well, wow. and places around the world are in the Northern Hemisphere are announcing that they're not going back to the classroom for first semester in September. And mm. Cambridge is saying that it's the whole year. Wow. So they won't be back in the classroom for another 12 months. Mm, correct. So this is this is not this is not going away. This this need is certainly needed. Yes, that's right. So I guess in some ways we were we were already fully committed to this track because it's the one that scales best and is most sustainable. Full stop. And most of our target, our, our most, um, our most, uh, I guess the 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 demographic that we're trying to reach most urgently is um, people in developing nations, especially women. Uh, women and girls in developing nations, um, and they don't have bricks and mortar institutions there in many parts of of the developing world. And so, the only way that they can actually access these kinds of learning materials is is virtually or, or through digital digital means, which amazingly has been the most rapidly propagating technology development in probably human history. I'd say. So, uh, so yeah, it means that we can reach people that are in places like Africa, where um, only two percent of the eligible sort of uh, age groups, the eligible demographics for higher education, actually have access to higher education institutions. So it's it's really quite a dire need because we have been sponsored in this initiative that we're doing. It's 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 OER for OER number four COVID org is the is the initiative that we're running, and we've been sponsored for this by, by UNESCO and um, and the Commonwealth of Learning, and they're very keen to see the materials that we've been developing uh, translated into other languages, um, so that they become more accessible to people and other cultural groups that have different language uh, familiarities. So yeah, we're just uh, just looking to make that all possible now. And I should mention that all of our materials are being developed not by necessarily by us at the foundation, but by uh, people at our partner institutions around the world. So OE, uh, obviously Otago Polytech is one of our founding partners. And um, so there's a lot of work going on there, but um, we have partners all around the world that are uh, other institutions that are also lending superb materials and making them openly licensed. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mahi aroha nui, kia koutou, kutahu ho. I hope you're all having the best day of beautiful superstars in your beloved bubbles. And I really hope that for you all, this time is just a really amazing series of illuminations and awakenings and healings and adventures into different parts of who you are and who you can be and how you can feel and is just empowering and empowering and astounding you with all the new visions for a future that really fulfills and brings out the best in you and I hope that now as we are in level two you're having many wonderful voyages back in your beloved world of belonging. And 
I thought that today we could have some time together talking about something which has been really in our consciousness, in our awareness, of course, for literally billions of years of co-evolution on this paradise planet. We would not be here without this as a cornerstone of cooperation, and it is part of what makes us human and part of what connects us to all life in an infinite web, and it is, of course, kindness. And kindness is a word that has been used so much over this adventure that we've been having together and we have been encouraged to be kind first and foremost as a foundation and a guiding light for all our actions in this time and I think it's really helped give us the best perspective and the best attitude towards one another and ourselves throughout this time. So I thought that we could think about some ways that we understand kindness. And of course, it's going to mean something very different for all of us. But it has united and brought us together with a shared vision throughout this time, which has been wonderful. And I'm so grateful. And I think we should all feel very, very proud and very happy with where we are, thanks to kindness, our collective kindness. So for me, kindness is so integral to who we are and allows that true aspect of ourselves our true deep nature which is as healers and as nurturers to come forward and for me I think that in our true essence we relate to each other kindly because kindness I think at its heart is a true relationship with another person and that true relationship can also be in response to ourself so it can be taking a little bit of a step back from that enmeshment with ourself and thinking how can I be kind to myself in this situation so we can be the other that we're having a relationship with too which I think is very important but in that relationship, what we're doing is we are accepting the other person and we're giving them permission to be and be themselves. And that is a kindness. And within that, we are thinking of their needs and how we can support and, if possible, meet their needs. And over this time, of course, we have had to really shift and change our behaviors in order to be kind to ourselves and each other and we've had to restrict our movement and our our habitual behaviors but I think by practicing this kindness and having kindness as our overarching vision we've been able to really make the most of this time because we've been able to prioritize who I think we all are which is a loving, kind being. And for those of us that have found this time to be challenging, I think we all have at different times. I hope that it has been an opportunity for us to be kind to ourselves and think more about how we can be our own best friend 
be our own parent, be our own child, you know, care for our, care for ourselves. And I hope there's been some really great learning. I know there has been for me. It's been really helpful. And I've also seen a real shift in a lot of people's behaviours now that we're able to interact in level two. So people are really taking pleasure in being kind to each other and showing that kindness. And I've just been loving seeing all the, the giving of gifts and time and care now that we can interact again. And it's been lovely with Harvey and I with our bird feeder business because lots of people are giving bird feeders to their friends and to people in their family who they know would really benefit from having lots of beautiful native birds visiting them in their garden. And today it was so amazing. A lady who we sold a bird feeder to yesterday bought another one for her neighbour today so these little acts of kindness and these acts of gift giving whatever form that gift takes are so precious and the kind of pleasure and rewards that we get from being kind I think are the best rewards and as we move forward together I think this is the kind of reward system that we want to function from is feeling really good about being kind to each other and helping each other and that is going to give us the best future together so thank you all for your kindness thank you all for being so kind and i'll look forward to speaking to you tomorrow Kakite. so you describe yourself as an open source technologist yeah why open, why open source yeah, uh, well, that's a, a big can of worms. I'm, I'm, I've been, um, I've been convinced for probably 25 years that um, doing di- doing digital technologies in an open way is inherently superior to doing them in the way that most of us experience them, which is through proprietary tools that are owned by individual companies and corporations around the world, and. Um, Open has, it, it started in a large extent with open source software. That was where the things like open education and so on, were, they inspired open education. So open source software actually came out of the scientific movement, which is which is based on the idea that people make their, their research and their methods and so on available so others can test and verify, validate those approaches so that knowledge isn't proprietary, knowledge is about sharing so that others can can build upon it more readily and, and, and also verify that what people have done before is, is valid. Um, but uh, it was the advent of the internet, which is almost entirely built on open source concepts and technologies, um, which led to this Precambrian explosion um, that we've experienced in the last 25 or 30 years. And unfortunately, it's been largely co-opted by commercial entities who are seeking to pr- to privatize the profits and socialize the costs as as businesses always have done but the the current crop of proprietary um, mega corporations that dwarf countries like New Zealand in terms of value and power uh, va- financial value I should say and power in politically um, 
to my mind, are probably the single greatest threat to human existence at the moment, if I it can be allowed that hyperbole. Um, so my my focus is on openness and on on the communities that spring up around open things. And uh, another hat that I wear is that I've been for the last eight or nine years the president of the New Zealand Open Source Society. And our our mission is essentially to make it possible for this otherwise unmarketed branch of technology to to make it available and expose people in New Zealand to opportunities that it provides so we believe or i believe certainly that um people tend you know you you look at the you look at the labors of love that people undertake as a in the name of their hobbies like people dismantling entire old cars and lovingly <laughs> re you know stripping the paint off everything and cleaning it all up and they put it back together in a way that is 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 a work of art you know in many cases they'll 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 put more much 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 more work into it than than anybody who is paid to do that sort of a job. You know, they, they, they deal with it much more lovingly. And I think all technology has the potential to benefit from that kind of loving care that people do, that people put into things that they love rather than what they're doing for their, for money. And it's just like the idea that, you know, you'll never get a better meal than one that's home cooked for you with love by somebody who really enjoys what they're doing. You'll never get a better meal at a restaurant that, than that. And I, I feel the same as holds true of technology. And the cool thing that I've found in, in my 25 years or so of being an open source advocate and adherent is that the quality of the software is simply better. The only ways that it falls down is that nobody has a financial interest in marketing it. And, um, and most people don't realize now that openly licensed open source software like the Linux operating system, for example, is by far the most widely used operating system in the world today. But nobody would know it because it doesn't get advertised. Nobody makes money off of having that be the case. But it enables all of the mobile devices just about that we use. All the Android devices are running it. All of the cloud that we talk about all the time is running Linux. It's all every flat screen TV in your house or your your um, Wi-Fi access point or the Wi-Fi remote cameras, security cameras and all those kinds of things, they're all running Linux. And, and so it's by far the most pervasive form of computing and yet nobody knows it. Liesel Mitchell is a downtown dweller, urban explorer and conversationalist observing city life in lockdown. Hi there, bubble people. Just a quick one from Lethal here, just wanting to touch base and say hi. Hope you're doing well. Just wanted to ask you, what were some of the things that maybe you've taken away from the lockdown experience that now you kind of treasure? Like what's been something really great? And I guess just quickly to share with you, some of the things I've loved has been, um, I met some interesting people when I was just wandering around on my daily walks and uh, ran into one of those people today actually. Uh, we've just crossed paths most days as we've done our loops and now we uh, actually stopped and had a chat and he was someone that we collectively found a blue penguin down by the waterfront together and uh, yeah had a lovely chat with him and realized that you know you actually have uh, all these people around you that you don't necessarily meet because you're not in lockdown but now you might have met some people because we were in our bubbles for so long. Anyway, 
Hope you're doing good and we'll touch base again soon. You're talking about the communities that spring up around open things. Yeah. I was quite taken early on in the, the COVID shutdown, the response from the open, New Zealand open source community to, to support COVID. Mm. Yeah, well, um, it just so happened that... Um, what, what, so I'm kind of the, the president of the Open Source Society only because nobody else has um, decided to throw their hat in the ring. It's not necessarily something, <laughs> not necessarily something that I want to be doing, but um, people seem to you know, think it's going all right. But what, what I tend to really love doing is I love Im- implementing interesting capabilities with open source software. And one of the things that I had implemented earlier this year prior to COVID was this uh, thing called Big Blue Button, which is a effectively it's a, the equivalent to Zoom, but entirely open source. It's actually developed originally by a consortium of universities, I believe, and a private company in Ottawa, Canada called Blindside Networks. And they've been developing Big Blue Button for uh, over a decade. And it's what we've been doing all of these shows on. It's great. I'm very, I'm very delighted that you you folks have been able to take it up. Yeah, we we so we we realized that we had this this very valuable resource that people who were struggling to make use of Zoom in, in the early days of COVID. You may recall that Zoom was really struggling to make maintain um, to to keep up with the uh, demand for its services, and people were having a hard time accessing it because they had to install this special software and so on, and that, that created barriers. Um, so we decided to, uh, we, we, we were fortunate to have a, a very good relationship with uh, a company here in New Zealand called Catalyst IT, who are um, one of a, a few, a handful of companies who maintain New Zealand-based clouds. So that is, so you may have heard that the definition of a cloud is someone else's computer basically (laughs) so so catalyst have a whole lot of someone else's computers in um very secure environments so for example they they uh have leased the ex new zealand defense forces data center in porua um so it's probably one of the most secure buildings in new zealand it's it's a bunker that's designed to be earthquake and tsunami safe and various other things um, and so that's one of their main points of presence. So this conversation that we're having right now is going via that facility. Um, and they have points of presence in Hamilton and in Wellington and various other places around New Zealand. And the idea is that that you can distribute your computing uh, resources and the data that you're storing in among those places so that if any one of them is, is affected negatively by some external force or a power outage or whatever, um, a, a virus or something like that, that the others uh, will have a redundant copy of all of your uh, precious data. Um, and so thereby give you, giving you some resilience. And I'm a big, I'm a very strong advocate on behalf of keeping New Zealand specific data in New Zealand onshore subject to our legal jurisdiction. So I'm very um, aware of privacy implications. I've I've actually spoken on various privacy panels and so on in the past, and I'm I'm actually quite appalled by the degree to which our government has blithely and cavalierly sent citizen data, which it holds in trust for the citizens of New Zealand, to offshore data centers, and um, I found that to be uh, extremely short-sighted, and I would say entirely foolish. 
and it also uh, it results in in our huge dependency on our ability to remain connected to those overseas jurisdictions as well via some very fragile cables that run under the sea and are prone to being draw, trawled up by fishing boats from time to time. Let's take Andrew Bird with Bloodless. Yeah. So I first heard this song on Radio New Zealand's Nine to Noon show. It was just incidental music in amongst everything else. Uh, I listened to that as I develop, do software development and so on uh, in my office here at home. Um, and this was probably about maybe a year and a half ago, I, I'm guessing. But it just happened to be played on Catherine Ryan's show. And I was so immediately struck by the song that I had to look this fellow Andrew Bird up. And I ended up, um, yeah, I, I think it'd probably be <laughs> not too strong <laughs> to say a bit of a man crush. <laughs> the, guy is, the guy is absolutely incredible musician. And um, I'm just amazed by the diversity as well of his of his music. Because this song is like a... You could imagine it being like a 60s era, um, kind of almost like a protest song, but it's very, very literate. It makes allusions to all kinds of interesting things like the Spanish um, the Spanish Civil War and, and things like that, uh, which many people won't even be aware of, much less understand the, the echoes of it that uh, Andrew Bird has identified and is uh, pointing out. Um, it, with our current political situation, this is you know pre-COVID, but post-Trump. So um, he's uh, he's referring or reflecting on that, and um, it's just this incredibly groovy song with an incredibly uh, profound message, and uh, yeah, entirely listenable. But if you spend more time, uh, it kind of some of the ideas work their way into your into your subconscious and make you want to learn history which I think is a pretty amazing art. Okay, so let's take that into our subconscious now. Mm. Stay explode like 
all of the things you've seen in the last couple of months, what do you think is likely to stick and what do you hope will stick? Well, I I really enjoyed a lot of aspects of, of lockdown because I wasn't worried for my future employment and so on. But I think one of the things we found is that on one hand, we're hugely dependent on a very small number of industries in New Zealand and tourism being one of the main ones. And I think we've found to a certain extent, we've, we've found that a large portion of the population doesn't actually really like tourism very much. My impression is that most people don't like the idea that we exist for people to come here and just sort of have a look at us doing what we're doing. <laughs> and I think that that's been a fairly profound lesson that, that, there's certainly a lot of people badly affected by the loss of tourism, but by the same token, a lot of other people who aren't necessarily badly affected aren't sorry to see it go. And that's an interesting thing. I think I like the idea of New Zealand developing self-sufficiency and resilience and not being dependent on external, um, on, on external sources of, of wealth and revenue. Um, I'm a strong proponent of um, focusing on living in prosperity rather than on growth. I, I actually despise the concept of growth and I think of it as the junk food of economic policies. Um, I've, I've been reading very with great interest uh, Kate Raworth's Donut Economics and this idea of living within sustainable boundaries throughout throughout society. And, and I've, I was really excited about the, for example, the lesson that we taught ourselves, that we proved to ourselves that we can actually reverse our carbon hungry consumptive uh, culture here, carbon producing, I should say, uh, releasing um, lifestyles. And I've been very disappointed to see people falling right back into their old ways, you know, all of the sort of polluting coffee cups and so takeaway coffee cups and stuff I see by the side of the road when I ride with my boys to school on the, on the bikes. I would love to see many more of us um, doing what we did during lockdown and getting exercised by riding our our bikes and by walking our dogs and walking with our families and having, you know, to me that the together time that, that people experienced that didn't result or didn't require any consumption or any going to the stores and the malls and whatever to buy stuff. I would love to see the malls go out of business. Frankly, I would love to see that. I would love to see people engaging with local markets and building things themselves rather than buying cheap stuff that all comes from China. It was certainly an interesting and, moment uh, of calm, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of people will – it'll take a while for people to digest it. At least I'm hoping that it's that's the only reason that we've had this resurgence of the way things were before. Because speaking as someone who came through Christchurch and the quakes, you know, the Christchurch was, was failing in many ways before the quakes. And a lot of people kind of hark, reminisce about how Christchurch used to be before the quakes. But the reality is that not only did um, not only did Christchurch benefit in some ways from the changes that the quakes forced upon us, but unfortunately, we also, through I think lack of imagination and through vested interests that wanted things back the way they were, which is where they were making all their money, the the, the landholders and so on, they basically recreated all of the flaws of the pre-Christchurch city in the new city uh, many of them and 
and in some cases added new ones. And that's been probably one of the saddest things about crisis. There's certainly a lot of potential breaths of fresh air as well, but I would love to see us sit down and actually learn the lessons of what made lockdown, what, what the best parts of lockdown were and see if we can uh, keep those keep those going uh, post lockdown. Um, yeah, I think I would love to. I would love to see us. I mean, personally, I think we need a fundamental shift in our society in order to make any useful progress against climate change, which I, which I think is going to increasingly mean that COVID looks like a, a dawdle by comparison. And I think we're going to see a lot more things like COVID-19 in the coming years. And I think the fact that we've had this practice now is setting us up well for being able to weather very similar storms in the years to come. So what do you think that we've learnt from this for those climate change, social justice, biodiversity collapse, those bigger questions? What, what can we take from this experience? I think we've learned that if there's a sufficiently compelling uh, crisis that we have the ability to knuckle down and, and act in a united sort of a way. That's very inspiring to see. And it's also really inspiring to see leadership stand out, stand out that, that I hadn't previously expected. Um, I'm, always, I'm always delighted when I see people take up, seize the, net, the nettle, so to speak, um, uh, and, and rise to a challenge that I never would have, I never would have expected for them. And so, yeah, our, 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 some of our leadership did that. Some of our leadership didn't. Um, and uh, I would like us to reward the leadership who did and uh, <laughs> see off the ones who didn't. And, and I think there's plenty of others waiting in the wings who, who, who would um, rise to that challenge. And uh, I think we need to recognize also that if we don't, you know, we don't, as a, as a society, um, prioritize the kinds of risk mitigation that we now know we didn't do enough of before, because of the difficulties that we face now and having industries that have been completely destroyed by this, you know, like the tourism industry destroyed by this kind of an eventuality that many people predicted for, you know, a quarter century, at least, if not more, this kind of stuff has been looming for us all this time. Everybody could see that it was likely to happen and we didn't do anything about it. Now I think people are going to take the mitigation of liabilities a little bit more seriously and they won't focus on the wrong sort of liabilities things like legal liabilities aren't as big a deal it's more existential liabilities that we need to really be worried about so i have some questions to end with and oops we'll have to be quick okay what is the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years uh well i think i've found my dream job i think i've found um Personally, oh, aside from from great family developments and and building a, a new house and so on, which have been really um, delightful uh, uh, opportunities to have some life goals and bucket list things ticked off. My 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 greatest current um, victory is, I guess, the fact that I'm working in a dream job. I'm able to do something that I think is having a positive can't not have a positive effect on the planet, and I think. Very few people can say that of their jobs. Um, and I feel very fortunate to have run into that situation. And I'm working in an environment with people who share my principles and my ideals, and that's very gratifying. We're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. Nice.
The team of people doing good work. So you're in our mansion. What's the superpower that's got you there? Right. Um, I think on on one hand, it's it's that I I guess I've been fortunate enough to have developed the skills and have got, gained the education and educational advantages and so on that have given me insights into things that allowed me to develop conscious principles. And then I've had the ability to live, you know, to, to change my life around to live up to them. To, I've, I've had the fortunate opportunities and the ability at the time to take those opportunities that has allowed me to remain true to, true to those values of, of openness and of, um, giving to of sharing basically and giving giving to society that has given quite a lot to me i guess and so i feel like um my superpower is in some ways gratitude maybe because <laughs> it, it motivates me to do a lot of stuff and but gratitude but also i guess dissatisfaction with the status quo maybe and the fact that that motivates me to, to constantly be trying to make things better do you consider yourself to be an activist definitely a lot of people don't like me for that, <laughs> or they see me as a threat because I think that some people I, I, I help to I help to force them to confront cognitive dissonances that they've buried about misgivings about the things that they're doing in the world and whether they're actually doing good or harm. People around the world, I've asked that question a lot of times on Sustainable Lens. People around the world generally say yes to that question except americans hmm yeah interesting well there's a reason i live in new zealand <laughs> what's I, the biggest challenge you're looking forward to in the next couple of years uh well i'm looking forward to my children getting older and uh seeing whether we run into all of the sort of cliche uh, experiences with um, teenagers and that sort of stuff um, and seeing how we we manage our way through that. My, my wife and I have um, some grand ideas about that. Um, for the future, what I, I'd like to do is I'd like to help see New Zealand become the kind of country that becomes an exemplar in the world um, because I think we're on the cusp of, of actually having done that already. You know, I think I think we're poised for that right now. And I want to see political and social and economic and environmental change that makes it clear that the way that we've done things in a way that doesn't leave anyone behind and values are, you know, we, that we become conscious of our tikanga and, and our, you know, and we, we all embrace and embody that, that becomes uh, something that is, is, undeniably the best way to do things for other countries in the world they, that they see us as we've managed to achieve something that none of them seem to have done i think that the biggest legacy of the current government will be around the world they're looking at us and seeing that policy and responses based on kindness is a real thing mm. and the if if that is the primary value on which you're basing basing decisions you don't have to like go through customer engagement processes to think about how this is going to play out it just mm. it's, it's it's the right thing to do That's and right. i think we've as really seen it here yeah yeah i think as long as you get 
the right group of people around the table to discuss them, then that can be true. I think I think we've I, I'm 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 sort of tentative at this stage. Like to me, it the kindness stuff is kind of aspirational at the moment. I think it's hasn't quite seeped all the way through the fabric of society yet. Although I think it's we're we're definitely wet with it at the moment. But whether we <laughs> whether we um, whether it kind of binds itself into the fiber of New Zealand culture is yet to be seen, but I, I, I really hope it does, and I hope it is, and I hope that we we also recognize our, our need to make sure that kindness, the kindness extends to all layers of, of both society and what society is built on, namely our environment. Yeah. And the neoliberal is quite deep. I've got a, um, a doctorate student who is working on... Um, incorporating social justice in decision-making and management. Um, mm. And she works in health, and she says it's all very well having this sort of well-being-type focus, but if all of the processes are still neoliberal, externalising, contracting, mm. then it's just not it's not coming through. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think we need to cut off the corporate vector my mind that that's that's infected a lot of this thinking i mean basically that is the neoliberal in my in my mind that is the neoliberal approach is effectively corporations are more efficient than governments and, and communities that's the generally what neoliberalism to me means and i want to see us lop off if i i think public public listed corporations are the worst form of social influence that we could have because they're all totalitarian regimes and they they claim through PR spin to be doing what's good for the people, but they only do that because it makes them more money for their shareholders. <laughs> if and that that to me that's not a motivation that I want to encourage. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? Crikey, yeah. Well, um, I can't uh, I can't. Uh, say that I, I know what the listeners are going through themselves individually, so I don't know for sure what would be relevant to, to all of them, but all I can say is, um, to me, improving life and openness uh, being a core aspect of that is all about our intent. And the goal that I would have, or the goal that I would hope everyone would have, is to plumb the sources of dissonance that they feel in their lives and work out how they can resolve them because a lot of us have very fundamental dissonances in our lives that create um, you know things that are pulling in opposite directions you know the desire to consume versus the desire to have a simple life the desire to be together with people and the desire to be apart you know all these different kind of contrary poles and we need to work out how to reconcile all of those and I think if people all spent a bit of time, pondering that sort of stuff as they fall asleep at night, perhaps, um, and and work out action that they can take um, to move in the right direction. They don't have to get it all solved right, right away, but if they know how they can move incrementally in the right direction, everyone, I think, will feel better as a result. Thank you for that. Thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure, Sam. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world, brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. 
We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. We've had contributions from Tahu McKenzie and Liesl Mitchell. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Dave Lane in Christchurch. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.